with the current trend fad. I don't know. I, it's a good fad. I'm not, I'm not against it by any means. But it used to be in the old days anyway, uh, when I was a, uh, a child and even more recently than that, when Christmas time came around, uh, you would get cards from people. And it was um, maybe about every five years you would get a, a family picture of these people. And um, that was always kind of an, an interesting um, bonus when you got a family picture. Well, more recently, well, I can, and just to back up, I can remember the day when we would line up both sides of our archway between our dining room and living room with Christmas cards. That was just our, our way of displaying our Christmas cards. Well, then there, there began to be a transition, and there was a shift in things, and now we maybe had half a dozen Christmas cards, maybe, to hang up this year. But our bulletin board is just overflowing with pictures. That's the new thing. Every, every year we, we get pictures from people. And that's interesting, and I'm not complaining about that. It's just an interesting evolution of things. And so now rather than um, cards, we have pictures. Well, this does lead to a bit of a dilemma. Uh, when, you're, when you get the picture, our tradition is we hang it on the board. And it stays there for the year. And people that come to see us throughout the year, I notice, often will wander over to the board. And I do the same thing when I get to other people's houses. And they'll look at the pictures. And they'll exclaim about people. And, you know, you know, there's always a little conversation about the pictures or whatever. Then as the next Christmas rolls around, now, now what do we do? Well, now we have a whole new set of pictures that come along. And so we clear the bulletin board of pictures and we begin tacking up. Now, there's another thing that's happened. The pictures keep getting bigger. And so we're now up to five by sevens rather than wallets. It used to be wallets, now it's five by sevens. So it's really spilling over. And, and again, I'm not complaining. It's just an interesting saga. I'm just waiting for the first eight by ten we get. <laughs> so far, that hasn't happened. We'll have our whole wall decorated with pictures. But anyway, so... The 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 um, the thing that that happened or has happened in the last ten years or, or more is we take these pictures and and there's a desk drawer there's a drawer in my desk that's just a catch-all and it became just this huge catch-all just hundreds of pictures I don't think I'm stretching that to say that just pictures so you just throw them in there and. You know, next year you do the same thing. And after 10 years, this was, this was a quite an accumulation. Well, what do we do with these pictures? Well, my, my, my wife's like, just throw them away. You know, at the end of the day, what does it matter? And there, there's some of us that had a differing opinion of that. I probably would have felt a bit of a differing opinion, and my, my daughter Katie did for sure. It just felt like such a waste to do this. So Caitlin took all these pictures... And, and began to put them out on the dining room table. And so, you know, we, we start here and here's, you know, this family's pile. And as we go through the years, we just keep adding to the pile. And, and I'm not kidding you, our entire dining room table was full of piles of pictures. It was an alarming amount of pictures we had there. And it didn't, the, the dining room table didn't even contain them all. But it was an interesting, it was an interesting organizing event because there was probably some families there we maybe had six, seven, eight pictures of. And it was very interesting. So you'd start back ten years ago, oh, this is what they looked like then. And 
oh, here's what they looked like, you know, then. And you know, you can kind of see that that progression that uh, of time through. The, it was it was kind of like a, a a time machine is what it was. And uh, probably the most noticeable thing is we all uh, we just all got a little bit more rotund as we as we went through the ages. There, it was the most outstanding thing, anyway. But anyway, uh, we. To, to end that story, we took all the pictures, we somewhat organized them, we put them in folders, and they're currently sitting in our attic aging. And I suspect, probably 25 years from now, we'll go through the attic, we'll come across these pictures, we'll take them out, we'll take them to the next Burkholder family reunion, and we'll look at them. And we'll say, wow, wow, that's unbelievable. You mean Warren actually looked like that back then? You know? And, and, and so on. I, I have a feeling that's what it's going to be someday. But anyway, besides the fact that we all got more rotund, generally speaking, as time moved through, there was other changes that you could see in particular families. You could see changes that were, didn't really matter. And then there were some things that it was like, wow, you know, maybe a bit, bit of a disappointment where, where that family um, maybe ended up or whatever. It, it, was, it was somewhat of an interesting exercise. Probably the most interesting was just pictures of our own family. Um, you know, there was a picture there of, I'm not sure how this picture came to be, but it was m me and my wife and Justin and Jessica and the dog, the, the current dog at the time. And, you know, I just looked at that picture and I was like, you know, it just brought back a flood of memories. You know, what life was like back then, um, you know, thoughts of the dog, thoughts of having just two children, driving the Honda, you know, just all these things that, that, that come back to you. Well, I guess, I guess whenever I looked at these pictures, I had to think, okay, so 25 years from now, when people root through their pictures, if they save the pictures, what will they say of me? What will they say of my family? What will be their, what will be their thoughts? Turn to me, turn with me to Proverbs 4. There's actually a verse here in the, uh, in the Bible, in Proverbs, that I think um, is an important verse for us to think about. When we think about, when we f reflect on the past, we consider the present, and we look to the future. I'm going to read... Um, Oh, let's see. Let's start at verse um, 10, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Proverbs 4. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. When thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened, and when thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go, keep her, for she is thy life. Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it. Turn from it, and pass away. For they sleep not except they have done mischief, and their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. 
my son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thy heart. For they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Verse 26 is the, is the key verse this morning. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. As I mentioned, reflecting on the past, looking at the, future, or looking at the present, pondering the future, I would like to hone in on this verse here, verse 26 where God through the wise man Solomon says, ponder the path of your feet. What do you want your Christmas picture to look like 25 years from now? What do you want your grandchildren's picture to look like? How, how do you want this thing to go? And I think what God is saying is, pay good attention to where, you're, where you are on the path today so that as you look into the future, perhaps we can be at peace with what the future will be for us. We have kind of a family game at home sometimes. It, it happens occasionally where usually one of the younger will say, um, how old will I be ten years from now? Well, let's do the math. Well, you'll be this old, you'll be this old. And, and, and it's just this little thing. And then, and then you begin to say, well, you know, what are what things will be like ten years from now? Well, you know, maybe somebody may be married. Maybe not. Maybe, you know, who knows? It's just, it's one of those things that all you can do is guess because you really don't have any solid idea. And the other dynamic that plays into that is we tend to judge the future by our own, you know, just by what we've experienced. So I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to drive at is, you know, for at least two generations now, we've had such pleasant paths. I had to think of that on that second song that we sang this morning. You know, if on a quiet sea toward heaven we calmly sail, well, we'll own that favoring gale with thankfulness. You know, that, and that's somewhat what we've experienced. It's been a favoring gale, if you will. But we have no guarantee that that favoring gale will continue. It might become tempestuous, as the second verse of that song um, alluded to. But future is tough. It's just, it's just plain largely unknown. Uh, except for generalities and probabilities, James warns us that you better not say you're going to do anything unless you add the epitaph, if the Lord wills. We'll do this or that. So there's three main points in this verse that I see. Number one, ponder. That's the main word. Ponder. Then there's the path. And then there's the establishment of the way. Let's think about the path a little bit. Often we think about the path as being something that's out of our control. And to a degree it is. And, and to a large degree it is. I mean, which of us has chosen where we were born or who our parents were or what our IQ is or what our opportunities are or that we were born in the United States of America? Anybody get to choose that? 
Well, you know the answer. But on the other hand, this verse does imply that we are free will agents. And God does allow us to make some choices. And these choices will make a grave difference in the outcomes of many things. And they will have far-reaching effects. They will impact our lives, whether good or bad. And these choices are such things as, who will I marry? Will I get married? Where will I go to church? What kind of a brother will I be in that church? What kind of a job will I do? Who will be my friends? What will be my attitudes? Will I allow my besetting sins and vices to be my experience? Why allow my past to control my future? These are things that we can control, and these are things we need to ponder. The word ponder simply means to weigh in the mind, to think, to consider, to reflect quietly, soberly, deeply. Now, the NIV uh, puts this a bit differently. It has the idea of preparing the way or making the way flat. That idea gives us the, the uh, responsibility for preparing the way. There are some things we can do to prepare our way. I would suggest that many of the mistakes and poor choices that we make in life could possibly have been avoided if we had just taken some time to analyze and think clearly about some issues back the pathways. And I think this verse, the very fact that we're instructed to do this, would send the signal to us that we as sons and daughters of humanity have not been the greatest at pondering. We have not been very astute at this. We're better known for making snap decisions, poor choices, and thinking very short-sightedly. We have a hankering for instant gratification and perhaps an undue self-confidence. A few chapters forward in, in the book of Proverbs, we have this verse. There is a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. And I, as I thought of that verse, I thought, wow, that, that is just so, that is so true. How many times that the way that seems right, actually not really the right way to go. It just seems right. But the end thereof is the way of death. And I just recently, in my, uh, in my Bible reading, starting at the beginning of the Bible, read through that whole Adam and Eve saga. What would have happened had Eve taken just a few minutes to ponder? Now, eventually, I'm pretty sure someone ate, ate that fruit, and it wasn't to be so. So it's not a whole lot of uh, time well used to think about it. But I, I, I would suspect, had, had Eve said... Give me a day, snake. Give me a day. I'm going to talk it over with Adam first. And maybe we'll run it past God just to make sure that we have this right, that in the day we eat that fruit, we will surely die. We're going to take a day to consider this. We're going to ponder it. I have a feeling the story would have turned out differently. Jeremiah says it is not in man to direct his path. We don't do a very good job in it. And God faithfully calls us over and over in Scripture to examine our ways. Second Corinthians says, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. 
prophet Haggai says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Lamentations 3, Jeremiah says, Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the, unto the Lord. So I'd like to spend a bit of time this morning analyzing our path or trying to stir our, our thoughts toward that. How can we become critical analyzers, if you will, of the path that we're on? How do we ponder this thing? What are some things that we can do to make sure that we are on the path that we wish to be on? And this is a limited list. It's not exhaustive, and I'm not even sure it's the most important things. But these are some things I thought of. So number one, never, ever, ever forget that there's only ultimately two paths you can be on in life. At the, at the end of the day, there's two paths. Now inside these two paths, there's going to be a path that is somewhat unique to us in our experience. And, I've, and I went over some of that. There's going to be differences of circumstances and experiences in life and and personalities, frames of references, these kinds of things, they're going to all somewhat define on which, where we kind of are on this path. But ultimately, there's just two. God said to, uh, to the people of Israel and through the prophet Jeremiah, he said, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. But there's two. You have two options today. Two. And Jesus reaffirms that in Matthew 7 when he talks about the two ways. There he calls them the broad way and the narrow way. But he said the one leads to life, the other leads to death. But he did give us a clue. He said the one has a lot more people in than the other. He said if you want a clue about the path, check out the crowd. Well, we as humanity have, uh, generally speaking, we're tempted to think we can beat that system. God says you make certain choices and you will have certain results. That's the way it is. But we as humanity have decided, you know what, let's, let's, let's try to tweak that a little bit. Would there be a way that we could make some of these decisions but we wouldn't have the consequences that are promised to go with them? And again, I go back to Adam and Eve. It's exactly what happened there. Um, they second-guessed God. And they, they had the result that went with that. There's a very, very interesting set of verses in Deuteronomy. And when you read through the, the book of Deuteronomy, it's, it's an interesting book because it's, it kind of ramps up. The climax kind of comes toward the end where you know, there's a lot of warnings that Moses has given the people of Israel. He's, he's calling them to reflect on the past. He's calling them to consider how rebellious and stubborn they are and how many bad choices they've made. And then at the end he says, you know, there's two ways here. And he goes, just beware that you don't go into this way that you shouldn't go. And at the very end he says, but you know what? You will. I know you will. I'm just going to tell you it's going to happen. But in that conversation, in Deuteronomy 29:18 and 19, he says, lest there shall be among you man or woman or family or tribe, whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. Now here's what this root is that bears the gall and wormwood. 
And by the way, bearing gall and wormwood is like drinking poison. So here's the root that will be poison to you. Here it is. And it will come to pass. When you hear the words of this curse, that you will say to yourself, I have peace, even though I walk in the imaginations of my heart. Now, isn't that defining of humanity? I'm right. I'll do what I want to do, but I'm right. That is a root that will bear you gall and wormwood. Paul in the book of Galatians says, Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, that you will reap. In other words, don't expect to go out and sow wild oats and, ex- and reap heavy wheat. won't happen. He says, unrighteousness will never inherit the kingdom of God. But again, I, I stress that we as human, in our humanness, we are tempted to think we can fudge on that a bit. And quasi-Christianity of the ages has always promised a third and easier way. And it is a figment of our imagination. Luke 13, Jesus says, Strive to enter into the straight gate. In other words, it's going to be work. It's going to be work. You're going to have to strive at it. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. And the reason is very, very clear as we uh, read through the Sermon on the Mount and other places as well. It's simply because we're not very discerning. Um, There's false prophets. There's false teachers. There's false voices. And because of our lack of being able to ponder these things as we should, we end up on a path we never intended to be on. Remember this. The narrow way will never be popular, as I alluded to before, and it will never make the press of the times. It will never be a megachurch. It just won't. It's not the way it's going to work. To the perceptive person, it will be recognizable, but many will miss it. All right, number two, let's begin the discipline of pondering early in life. If you look again here at our text. Look at verse 1. Hear ye children, the instruction of a father. Look at verse 10. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings. Verse 20. My son, attend to my words. In the context here, it is a father instructing a son, and there's an assumption made. The assumption is that the father will indeed have some instruction to give, the elder, and there is an assumption that the younger has some learning to do, and that he will receive the instruction. And this is a theme that we don't have to, I don't have to, um, um, at least I hope I don't, I don't have to uh, try to convince you that that's a theme that runs through the entire Word of God. Proverbs 8.17 says, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early or or in their young days will find me. Ecclesiastes 12, remember your creator in the days of your youth. And I like the verses that Jeremiah says in Lamentations 3. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of God. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. 
He sitteth alone and keepeth silence, because he has borne it upon him. In a nutshell, what, that, what those verses are saying is that it's good to learn the virtue of restraint and, and, the, and the value of pondering early in life. And the indication is in that verse is that it's going to take some sitting alone and thinking quietly. In other words, what you do when you ponder, really. You know, good habits and convictions are most easily developed in youth. And they're kind of, kind of that, that trajectory is set. And we'll find, we'll find our way in setting that tra- trajectory in basically two ways, I believe. Perhaps more. But listening to the wise people that have gone before us and listening to the words that God has to say through us through his, through his word. Psalms 1 talks about the, the righteous man meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. Psalm 119, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereunto according to thy word. Serious introspection, consideration. There's a verse in 1 Timothy, very familiar. Let no man despise your youth, but be an example of the believers in word and conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Now, I know in that context that uh, Paul is speaking to a young leader there, and he, that the context is, do not allow people there, Timothy, in your geographic area, to uh, undermine, which, undermine what God has called you to as a leader. He said, don't, don't allow them to despise you. I get that. But I would like to, uh, I'd like to just take those words and, and run it a little different direction. As far as people despising youth, I think, I think one of the reasons that sometimes youth um, have the bad rap that they do is because they do indeed um, not pay attention to instruction. They do indeed uh, take their own belligerent way. And it, it ends up being um, not a very pleasant thing to, to observe, something that people will quote-quote despise. On the other hand, when young people make good choices... And they are an example of the believers in word and conversation and so on. It is something that is unbelievably inspiring. Think of Daniel, Joseph, and even our Lord Jesus. What stunned the doctors that day? It was the fact that this man obviously knew his Bible. He obviously did. Listen, in our youth, and this is, this is just common to man, we, we are more willing to take risks we feel we can beat odds. We feel invincible. We feel we can experience some of the world's offerings and it will just turn out fine. But folks, it's not true. It's absolutely not true. The man Esau is a, is a real example of a youth that made some really unwise choices early in life. And the book of Hebrews said that the time came when he wished he could have changed his ways and he sought to, re- to change his way tearfully. It says he, he sought it carefully with tears. But he could find no place of repentance. Now that's a subject all in of itself. And I'm not suggesting that a man can never turn from, his, from a wrong tra- trajectory. That, that isn't true. You could, there's always time and there's always a place you can do that. But it does become very difficult at times. And so... I give this verse as a challenge with the psalmist in Psalm 63. O God, thou art my God, 
Early will I seek you. And I would just like to, to give a word of encouragement to our youth this morning. I sense largely the heartbeat of our youth in this congregation is good. I think the, the, the youth in our church, they are seeking God. Keep that up. I applaud that. Number three, beware of life's distractions and declutter your life of them as much as is reasonably possible. I wasn't sure whether I should put in life's distractions or the devil's distractions, um, but I put in life there. Because, you know, this life does just kind of inevitably have some legitimate distractions that can really get a hold of us if we uh, we're not careful. In verse 25 of our text, I think it talks about clearing our life of distraction. Let your eyes look right on. Let your eyelids look straight before you. You know, the, the, uh, the new thing this day um, is um, distracted driving. You, you hear that, texting and driving, it's illegal, um, even though everybody does it, I guess. I shouldn't say that, but it's done quite frequently. And uh, apparently it's the new, new way to make lawyers rich because I saw my first billboard the other day. Have you been injured te- by a texting driver? Call us, you know. thought, there you go, one more way. But anyway... The same thing is, has to do with, with life's highway, distraction, distracted driving. I think Luke 21, Jesus sums it up, the, the distractions. He says, take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, drunkenness, the cares of this life, so that that day come upon you unawares. I see three distractions, surfeiting, drunkenness, the cares of this life. The NIV calls surfeiting dissipation. Well, that didn't help me out much because I don't even know what dissipation is. So I looked that up too. And it basically means this, to fritter away time and money on useless activities. So Jesus says, be careful that in the clutter of life, of all things, don't fritter away your time and and money on useless activities. You know, I looked at the cares of this life. Jesus talked about that too. And you know, we just, we have cares in this life. You know, we have to make a living. We have to, and we have families. We, we, we just have stuff that clutter, that just really, uh, I shouldn't say clutter, but they do take some of our time. We just simply have to prioritize to get all of that done. I would say if there's anything we can cut out, it would be the drunkenness for sure. Hopefully we don't have to address that this morning. And the surfeiting. I believe we could really cut back our lives on surfeiting if we really wanted to. I find it interesting that every generation has had its things, its issues, that um, the, the true church of its day has addressed as surfeiting. Useless activities that just fritter away time and money for no value. It's, that's what it is. What, one of the ones I really think is interesting, apparently back in the day of the, <clears throat> of the advent of automobiles, apparently it was, a, um, it was a, a thing to just jump on your Model T and uh, take a Sunday afternoon ride, I guess, because I find it interesting that in the early 20s, 30s, that oftentimes the Mennonite churches of those days would, would preach quite a, quite a bit about Sunday afternoon pleasure rides. Well, I, I don't know. I haven't done that recently or whatever. But it apparently it was quite a deal. 
Well, you know, we, we kind of chocolate that, but it was their way of surfeiting back in those days. I think if we're all aware, and when we are, I think our generation has its surfeiting issues. And probably the web is probably one place we all spend a bit too much time surfeiting. And, I, and I'm going to throw my hat right in that ring. Um, you know, I, I prepare, well, this, this talk I prepared on my computer. And, you know, sometimes I need a break. So it's real easy to click and go right, right over to the web and surf it for a while. And it's like, you know, that's not really right. Jesus says, stay focused. Don't surf it. If you want to do something, if you want to, if you want to uh, take a break from preparation, maybe, maybe we could find a more useful activity. And I'll just, I'll just throw one other thing out here I thought about. You know, the, the, the plethora of, um, of social media is just unbelievable to me. I can't believe how many social media platforms are out there. But there's, the last, last I checked, there's something to the level of like 200. But think about that a little bit. If, you, if, you spend, if we spend too much of our time surfeiting on social media platforms, whose feet are we paying attention to? Are we pondering the path of our feet or somebody else's feet? God says, ponder the path of our own feet. And just a little pun here. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. We could probably use that as a bit of a pun. Now, of course, devices there um, mean anything. His ways, his, his ways of deceiving us. But uh, it has a very, very apt application in our time. All right, the next one. As we ponder the path of our feet, let's take responsibility for our own mistakes our own, and our own steps. You know, when I'm uh, traveling on a highway in real time, I can't control traffic. I wish I could, but I can't. I can avoid it, but I can't really control it. I really can't control the weather. I, I can't help when it snows, when it doesn't. But there's a few things I can control. I can control whether I started out on my trip with bald tires or good tires. I can control whether I started out on my trip with a tranny that I know may not get me there or I had the tranny repaired before I went. In verse 27 of our text, it says, You remove your foot from evil. John the Baptist, when he came preaching, he says, to the uh, audience that came to him. He gave him a little advice, and he says, make straight paths for your feet. The takeaway from this is the responsibility for our direction of travel and experience, while isn't completely in our control, does fall largely on our lap. And we as sons and daughters of humanity, again, love to shift blame. We love to blame you know, the weather on the road or our circumstances, or our lot in life, or some misunderstanding. That's why I have this, this, that's why I'm traveling the way I am. It's somebody else's fault. And I don't, and I don't, um, I don't want to infer that circumstances, feelings, things that happen to us, hey, we're people. These things do affect us. I mean, the snow does affect my travel, no matter what, Right? But at the end of the day, let's be careful not to overblame something that we can control. 
or that God expects us to control in our travels. Go back and read the life of Saul. What happened whenever um, he began to shift blame? Did God say, oh, Saul, I'm sorry, you know, yeah, you got a point there. Um, we'll, uh, we'll give you a pass. Absolutely not. And we would all do well to, to read Ezekiel 18 and ponder that. I don't have time to do that this morning. But God says there, you choose your path. Do not blame your, your problems on your father or your brother. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. But God is also faithful. And he has promised always to make a way of escape. There are off-ramps. If we find ourselves on the wrong road, there are off-ramps. Number five, let's be willing to get some perspective from other travelers. And again, from our text, verses uh, 10 to 13, verse 13 in particular, take hold fast of instruction. And we just be, we're people that are, they're kind of slow to ask for advice, and maybe we loathe advice at times. The, um, the instruction here is take hold fast of instruction. And what I mean here by, uh, by getting perspective from other travelers, you know, in many ways, this, this word alone should be enough to get us where we need to go. Mm-hmm. It really should. But there are nuances in life that we need a little bit more specific direction that we really maybe can't get from the word of God. And that's where the fellow travelers come in so handily. For instance, when we're traveling home from Michigan, from Tyler Troyer's uh, funeral there a month ago, we ran into this just amazing snowstorm in southern Michigan. I mean, all at once, it was just snow and cats and dogs. We're like, I mean, semis are all coming to a crawl, and we're just crawling along. And, and I told Darla, so let's, she was driving at the time, I said, let's take this next off-ramp here and just get our wits about us. I mean... Do we just stop? I'm not going to drive home in this, you know, in this junk. And so, um, so happened Warren and Loss were a few miles ahead of us, four or five miles ahead. And so there was some texting going on, distracted driving, I guess. But anyway, and, um, and we found that that snowstorm was very, very, very short. Just a few more miles down the road, and this thing was going to clear right out. With that piece of advice, we said, all right, grit the teeth, slow down, we're just going to, we're just going to, we're just going to bear this thing out and we'll get through it. And we did. But now, had not, I not had their perspective, I probably would have stopped. It was horrible driving. Well, you know, maps are great, right? GPSs, I love them. But there are just some times they can't tell us everything we need to know. And I would say the same thing is true on life's path. Take advantage of the people that are a couple of miles ahead of you and find out how they weathered that storm. And find out if they had done anything differently. I think it could be very helpful sometimes. Number six, we should pay attention to who our fellow travelers are. Where am I getting my, my cues? In our text in verse 14 it says, Don't enter into the way of evil men. It assumes that we know who the evil men are. Don't take your cues from evil men, in other words. and we could, That's a subject in and of itself. And I assume that you know who evil men are. Let's not do that. On the other hand, in Isaiah 35, it talks about a highway, and it calls it the highway of holiness. It says the unclean won't be there, but there will be wayfaring men there that appear like fools, 
but they will not err therein. And I had to think of that. You know, the highway of holiness is full of wayfaring men that look like fools, but they're going the right way. And that's exactly what the Bible tells us. The foolishness of the cross, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish. Remember this. Sinners will never accidentally find themselves on the highway of holiness. It will not happen. If we find ourselves largely lockstep with contemporary culture, it probably is cause for some serious introspection. Number seven, lastly, when we are in doubt of the path, deferred to the, always defer to the tried and true. In Jeremiah 6.16, it says, Thus saith the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and you will find rest for your souls. The NIV says, Stand at the crossroads and look. In other words, don't rush the thing. You know, when we're faced with decisions, crossroads in life, it is good to get out the Christmas pictures. All right? Literally. Where have various roads led various people? What decisions have they made? You look at the 10-year program. If you made that decision, what are the probabilities you'll end up in the same spot? I think there's a few um, lessons here in this short verse. It talks about an old path. And that's where I, I get my, my subtitle here, Defer to the Tried and True. You know, sometimes, sometimes we, we, we honestly need, we, we're, we're, we're hit with something new. But generally speaking, if we think through the thing, it is, it is an old package in new paper. And if we think through it, generally we can find the old path that we're looking for. And, and this is why I think a working knowledge of history is a good thing. What happened when people made this decision? What happened when churches made this decision? What is the general outcome of the road? Where have the majority of people ended up that have traveled it? Has it brought rest to the soul? You know, we need to think long term, generationally. Will my small decision here have consequences that are just life-changing. Go back and read the account of Lot. And I'll just put it in a nutshell. Had Lot not made the decision to move down there to the green pastures of Sodom, or outside the gate of Sodom, there would have been no nation of Moab and no nation of Ammon. And how much grief did the nations of, of Moab and Ammon call the true cause the true people of God generations since? Unbelievable. All because Jet Lot went down to the green pastures outside of the gates of Sodom. Luke 7.35 Wisdom is justified of her children. Will you be justified of your children? And I want to just say something here. And this goes back to Ezekiel 18. I am not implying here this morning that if a man's posterity choose the wrong path, it is that man's fault. That is not at all what I'm saying. Ezekiel 18 again. Every man chooses his path and will be judged for it. 
But are we making decisions that that make it easier one way or the other, I guess is my question. In summary, what is the reward? That's the last part of the verse. And let your ways be established. The NIV says, choose only the ways that are firm. Another way of putting it is, let your ways be ordered aright. So the summary of this verse is, think carefully about your choices that you make every day, so that when you stand down the road a decade from now, you can look back on your path with no regret. That's ultimately what the, path, what the verse is saying. When you think of established ways, you think of things that are set. The thing is done. You're not going to change it. And, and that's kind of what we're doing every day. We're kind of establishing things. I can't really change what happened yesterday. I can do something about today. I can certainly change some trajectory for the future if it needs to be. And so that's my challenge. Establish your path. Ponder your path. Look at it. Analyze it. So that 25 years from now you can say, you know what? I established my path and with the help of God and I'm satisfied with it.